0: My name's Scott, and the pastor of the church here. So great to have you uh, with us today. Hopefully, as you came in, you got a warm welcome, and you got one of these booklets with you, one of our little rooted preaching series booklets. If you don't have one, if you put your hand up, um, somebody will get uh, one to you, um, so if you want to do that, that would be great, that'll help you, there's some blanks for you to fill in there as we're tracking along, um, if you grab your Bibles, we're going to ask you to juggle a whole bunch of different things this morning, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter four, uh, John chapter four is where we're going to be spending time, uh, this morning last week we thought about, we're, as we're working through this rooted preaching series, who are Harvest Glasgow, what are our foundational priorities, we thought about preaching that takes God at His word Th- this morning we're at worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So we thought about preaching last week, worship uh, this week. And um, so John chapter 4 is where we are, and your Bible's on the screen if you haven't been able to find that, or if you uh, want to check, check out on there instead. Um, and we're going to read verses 23 and 24 as we consider what does it mean to have our hearts turned towards Jesus? Why does that matter? And why, and, and why does God call us to do that? Um, so, John uh, chapter four, twenty-three to 24, tell me if you're ready. ready. One or two of you, so we're going to just wait. Tell me if you're ready. ready. Excellent, more of you. Excellent. This is what God's Word has to say to us this morning. Uh, but there is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me pray, and then we'll think about these things together. Father, we're so thankful to you for what we've been able to say. Right now, we ask that you would be exalted over all. You'd be exalted over everything in our life. Everything we are prone to make uh, compete with you. Everything we're prone to prioritize instead of you every trouble, every hardship, every pain, everything we have in our lives just now, which would take maybe distract our attention from you and your word just now. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to, to exalt you and to fix our eyes upon you and all of the things we're going to look at this morning. Father, we long for our hearts, or we ought to long for our hearts to turn towards you. Father, we pray that the fruit of this morning would be a fresh desire to worship you for who you are in spirit and in truth, as your word says. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, so last week we thought about, um, Preaching this morning, we're going to think about worship, and in some ways this is Gardener's World featuring Scott, okay, we're going to, a uh, little, little bit of gardening for you, okay, so we're going to talk to you about some flowers, okay, it's rooted, uh, rooted worship is what we're looking at this morning, rooted preaching, last week rooted worship, uh, this morning, we're going to think about, we're going to put, we've got a nice picture of some flowers uh, to put up on the screen uh, for you, there they are, there's some, there some nice flowers for you all to look at, okay, and so, but I want you to, I want you to understand something particular about these flowers, um, which are heliotropic, flowers. Okay, heliotropic. Can anybody tell me what a heliotropic flower does or is? Hands up, hands up. It's a quiz, it's a quiz, it's a quiz. Yes. They face towards the sun, they actually turn towards the sun. Well done, the horticulturalist. Uh, well done. That's good to have one in and every church, should have somebody who knows about that. Okay? So, a heliotropic flower is one that turns, actually turns to face the sun. It kind of randomly, at nighttime when the sun goes down, it looks a bunch of different directions. But when the sun is up, it fixes, it turns to fix its attention and its direction towards the sun. That is different from, okay? Okay, we're going to test your knowledge. Okay, Rebecca, come and join us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) You'd love that, right? What's a phototropic flower? It grows towards the sun. It's what a phototropic... So we've got a phototropic flower which grows towards the sun and a heliotropic flower... Turns to face the sun. So, the, the, there, there's, what we want to see is that as we're thinking about these rooty things, there's something important for us to understand that we want our preaching to be phototropic preaching and we want our worship to be heliotropic worship. We want our, our, our preaching to cause us to grow towards not the, the sun in the sky, but the son of God. That's what we want to happen. We want our, our, the preaching in the church to, to grow us towards the son of God, to grow us in our relationship with Jesus, to cause us to get closer to him. That's what we want to happen. We want our preaching to be phototropic, and we want our worship to be heliotropic. It is that For the most part, our lives are marked by having our attention and the attention and direction of our hearts turned away from Jesus and worship the the gathering together like this and singing the songs like we've just sung are designed to turn our hearts, turn our hearts, turn the faces of our lives, rather than being away from Jesus, to turn them towards Jesus because we desperately need him as we've just sung. And so we come to John chapter 4 and we, we find Jesus, he's, he's left home, really, he's left his homeland, he's gone to a place called Samaria, and he's traveled, he's traveled some way, and it says he, at the beginning of chapter 4, just if you want to just flick through this a little bit, get back at the beginning of John chapter 4, it says he's, he's left, and he's tired, he, and he rests by a well, round right about noon, which is the, right about the hottest part of the day, certainly the heat of the day is starting to, to tell, and then along comes this woman who comes along by herself, Carrying water jars to fill with water. She, she, and this woman is from Samaria. Uh, John 4 tells us a, a Samaritan woman. Now, there's two, if there's two adjectives to describe the kind of person that Jesus should not have been speaking to culturally, they would be Samaritan and female. Those were the two things. So Jesus should have, would have had no business speaking to them. And when the disciples come back in a little while, the disciples have taken off to go and look for some food and some, so, so, something to kind of sustain them a little bit. And, and when they come back, they say, why are you talking to a woman? Wait, wait, wait. Why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? Okay, they, they they have an issue with that because there was a massive cultural issue with Jews speaking to Samaritans. A couple of notes on the woman, real quickly. She was alone in the hottest part of the day, coming to do this job that all of the women, all of the women of their, of the town that she belonged to, would have done, and normally would have done together. What that means is she either didn't consider herself or more likely wasn't made welcome in the company of the other ladies who would have drawn water earlier or in the cooler part of the day. So she might have, expected, so, so she might have been, as she approached the well, she might have said, oh man, I thought I was going to get away with this by coming here by myself. You know, she would probably have expected to have been a double outcast in Jesus' eyes. Not sufficient of the rejection of having to travel there by herself. More rejection when she got by the well by having a dude who was sat there ignoring her. That's probably what she approached it thinking. More, so expe- expecting more rejection to stoke her sense of ruin. More we find out as, as Jesus does interact with her and does Jesus does have the conversation with her that she had multiple husbands and is in a relationship at that present moment with a man who is not her husband. All of this made up for a recipe of, for rejection in, in our town uh, and a surprise at the acceptance that she receives from Jesus. Why would he let someone like me approach someone like him? Why would he let someone like me approach someone like him? And in a lot of ways, that's the foundational question of our worship. When we come to Jesus, the foundational question we all need to ask, we all get to ask, we all ought to ask is, why would someone like him, why would someone like me, why would he let someone like me approach someone like him? Why would he, the sovereign creator of the universe, the, the one who holds the stars in his hands, the one who rules over all things in righteousness and justice, who exists in perfect holiness, why would he, so why would someone like him, let someone like me approach someone like him? Why would he do that? That's the foundational question. Why would he let someone like you approach someone like him? In many ways, that should be the starting point of our worship, to see the discrepancy. That should be the starting point of my worship, to see the discrepancy, the massive gap that exists between my life and his, his holiness and mine. Why would Jesus let someone like me approach someone like him? Yeah, he does. And worship gives us the opportunity to grab hold of that reality that we get to draw near to Jesus. We get to sing songs to him and about him, about how awesome he is and how amazed we are that he would work in our our lives. And to pour all of that out to him, that's what we have just got to do for the last half an hour. Have we taken, the challenge question, have you made the most of the opportunity you have to express to Jesus in the last half hour all that he means to you? That's what we get to do every time we, get, we gather like this. We get together to, to express to Jesus how amazed we are about what he has done, how awesome we think he is, and how glad we are that he has been at work in our lives. And pour all of that out as we call out to him in an expression of how amazing we think he is. We, we cry out to him as an expression of our need, and we get to do that with one another we get to do that for the person beside us who is struggling to do that so that they can hear us doing that. That's why we come, that's what we talk about corporate worship. We do it together as a church family. In many ways, the woman is a parable of gospel reach. Of all the rejected, of all the rejected Samaritans, she epitomized the most rejected. Samaritans were rejected by the Jews, but she was rejected by the Jews and her, and her own people, the Samaritans. Lost, broken, and rejected. And, and if we take a real look at our, at our hearts, that's how we all come to Jesus. Lost, broken, and rejected. Now, our tendency here might be to identify, our tendency if we we're speaking to the Samaritan woman might be to offer her some practical guidance or some practical help. Here's some helpful advice. Here's some, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of help you out with this. Our tendency here might be to identify a couple of practical steps she can make to clean up her act of issues, you know. Maybe identify. We've, you know, as we're speaking to you, maybe identified a couple of issues you might want to fix. Maybe it's a nationality issue. You're a know, Samaritan, you know. Maybe you can do something about. It. Maybe you need. A, maybe you need to just change your passport. Maybe you need a new passport. Move to Jerusalem and change your identity. Move somewhere else and change your identity. Maybe that would be it. Or, or maybe it's a moral issue. Maybe it's a moral issue we identify. Mend your ways. You know, clean up your act a little bit. Stop marrying a bunch of guys. Make things right with the guy you're with right now. Maybe that would be the approach we might be tempted to take. The nationality issue, a moral issue, or maybe it's a relationship issue. You're here by yourself. Maybe that means you need some new friends. Maybe we help you find some friends. Maybe we could be your friend. Maybe something like that. But Jesus offers a different diagnosis. Jesus offers a different diagnosis. He offers a diagnosis. of He diagnoses a worship issue. He he talks about the need for them to look for look, need for the women to look for a deeper satisfaction. He he identifies in, in, in verses in, in verses if you, if you take a little look at this in verses thirteen and thirteen and fourteen. He says, "Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, so the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them, give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life.'" The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. That's what's amazing, she says. Jesus isn't interested in the nationality issue or the moral issue or the relationship issue. In the first instance, what he diagnoses most of all is a worship issue. It's a matter of satisfaction. It's, a matter, it's a, the, the call, the, the desire that God has placed in each one of our hearts to look for a deeper satisfaction. And what follows is this life-changing conversation for this woman, and it points to something life-giving and life-changing for us too. Your greatest, my greatest need is to worship in such a way as demonstrates that our hearts have been turned towards Jesus, that we have found a deeper satisfaction in God, our Savior. It's why one of the most pressing gospel needs we have, and one of the most precious gifts, the local Church can give us is this worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus. As we said, everyone's heart is turned towards something in worship right now. Yours is. Your heart is turned towards something in worship right now. Mine is as well. And the most important question for us to consider is whether our hearts are turned towards turned towards Jesus or turned away from Jesus. So let me ask you, just now as you're sat in your seat hopefully feeling comfortable, maybe not feeling as warm as you might like, but as your heart turns towards Jesus or is your heart turned away from Jesus? And what is the evidence of that in your life? The need for Jesus coming certainly points towards the hearts of all humanity, every person being turned away from him. He came to draw our attention back to God, to make a way for us, back to God for those of us who were turned away or walking away from God. Our hearts tend rather than being turned towards Jesus. Our hearts tend to be towards being turned towards success or stuff or people or similar. That's how our hearts seem to work. <clears throat> our, our, our lives operate in the love language of I need and I want. Jesus came because He under, God sees that we need to set free from our self-love through something that allows us to see our lives through See our lives through different eyes, we need to set free through something that allows us to see you need to set free through something that allows you to see your life through different eyes. Our, our language of love tends towards expressing self selfishness worship is designed to worship is designed to lift our eyes away from ourselves and turn our hearts towards jesus william temple who uh, who was a christian leader in the, in, in the last century said this. Worship is a submission, it's going to be up on the screen for you, I think. Worship is a submission, there is. Worship is a submission of all of our nature to God. It's a quickening, of, quickening of, of conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of the mind with his truth. The purifying of the imagination of his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love. The surrender of the will to his purpose. That's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's when we're talking about worshiping together as a church. That's what we're shooting for. Is that when we gather together and sing together, that our conscience would be quickened by his holiness. Our, our minds would be nourished with his truth. Our imaginations would be purified with a, a pictures of God's beauty. Our hearts would be open to his love and our wills would be surrendered to his purpose. That is the goal of what we do when we gather together to sing. That's the goal of the songs we've just sung in your life, whether you realize that or not. It's to free yourself from yourself in order to be able to focus your lives and hearts upon Jesus. I don't know what you think about when you think about idolatry. I don't know if you think about a chubby statue in the corner of a living room as some kind of um, as some kind of um, aesthetic effect. We do tend to think of those, we think about idolatry as something to do with some kind of statue, which when it's really more about a heart state. Or we think about it as a carved object, when actually idolatry in the in the Bible is defined by. By things we care about more than God, we make idols of it. We make, and, and, and the reality is this: we make idols out of, out of anything we allow to compete with God. So whatever it is, your heart is turned away from Jesus and t- and turned towards. Even if it's just a marginal thing, there's an idolatry in your life that you need to be watchful for and wary of. We make idols out of anything we allow to compete with God. That's what. That's the reality that the Bible talks us, t- tells us about the idolatry that is pro- we are prone to have in our hearts. That's why Jesus offers the worship diagnosis in the woman, and it's why we need to be given the same direction. Because worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus is a matter of, well, urgency. That's what, when we jump back into verse 23 now with all of that, those things said. That we worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus is, first of all, a matter of urgency. Look what it says. But the hour is coming and is now, and is now here. It's now here. The hour is coming and is now here. There's an urgency, it's a matter of urgency to have our hearts turned towards Jesus. The clock is ticking. Eternity awaits. Jesus confronts the confusion that idolatry causes our hearts. There's a time to make a decision about what is worth most to us, what we give worship to. That's worth-ship, worth by the way, is where we get the word worship from. There's, there's a time to do that, and it's today. There's a time to do that, and it's urgent. There's a time to do it, and it is now to decide what do you make of Jesus and to have your heart, the, your heart turned back towards him. Worth, worship is where we get the word worship from. Worship is what we get to do towards Jesus. We get to express that Jesus is worthy to us. And, when, and that happens when we, when we have our heads up to look for Jesus. Because when we have our heads up to look for Jesus, we have hearts ready to worship Jesus. When we see him for who he is, we're able to worship him as he is and with all that we are. And that's what Jesus encourages the women to find in verse 12, that a solution to the thirst for your soul. A satisfaction that will, for, that will forever fill your heart. Idolatry, this idolatry is spiritual salt. Wondered you see it in her? This woman who came alone by herself, broken and lost and rejected. Series of meaningless and messed up relationships going from one husband to another and finding that there was emptiness in taking identity from relationships. Taking identity from the idolatry of relationships we might see. A trail of wreckage and ruin, feeling rubbish about herself and her life. Broken and alone and searching and unsatisfied. And into that, Jesus says, come to me. Let me satisfy your thirst. It's a worship issue you have. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for meaning. In all the wrong places. And before you get too ahead of yourself in assessing your, and her life and thinking, well, I'm nothing like her, I want you to see that you're the same. And I'm the same. It's what idolatry does to us. So what idolatry does to us. It's is, is like, I don't know if you, have you ever played the game whack-a-mole before? I'm not sure if you've ever seen this game before, okay? Have you ever played the game whack-a-mole? There's something really satisfying about hitting people in the head with, a, with an inflatable hammer. Have you, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, okay? This is where every kid runs for cover, okay? There's something really satisfying about hitting somebody in the head with, a, with an inflatable hammer. You can, and, and it's like, and this is what it's like, okay? And, but if, you, if, if the person ducks, ducks, then it's, man, I, I feel disappointed about that, or if the person, you know, it's quite good, you can can I hit your head, is that okay, that's excellent, good, okay, that's good, that was, that was, thank you so much, that was so satisfying to do that, okay, it's like satisfaction, whack a we, we we are looking around, and it's like, oh, this is going to satisfy me, you, you think, well, if I can just hit that with my life, then it's going to be Okay but then you miss it and you think, well, what now? And then something else pops up and, and it's constantly on the move and it's like a, satisfaction is such a moving target unless you figure out what it means to have your heart turned towards Jesus and find ultimate and eternal satisfaction in him. It's, it's satisfaction whackable. That's what idolatry creates within us. We can't quite seem to hit it. But it doesn't have to be like that. This, 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 what the worship, that's what, worship, what worshiping together is designed to remind us. It doesn't have to be like that. Jesus' coming has changed it all. Jesus says it's coming. That's what I'm talking about the eternal promise where we will get to worship God for eternity. So with what, think about it this way. What we got to do this morning was like a warm-up or a practice or training for when we get to do that day without end. Worship now is preparation for eternity. It is coming but more than that, it is now here. And Jesus is saying, because I am here, the opportunity for worshiping the Father is now here because I am the means by which you can draw close. I am the means by which you are made right to, to, to approach God and worship and to worship Him properly, as we'll see in a little moment, in spirit and in truth. It's now here. It's an eternal promise, but it's also got Jesus' everyday presence it's Jesus coming into the world. It's Jesus coming into your life. that changes everything about how you worship and where your heart is directed towards. The point that Jesus is driving home to this lost, confused, lonely, and broken woman is that a new day is coming. More is here because Jesus is here. The, the point that God's word would make to you as you're sat in your seat, maybe feeling lost, confused, lonely, and broken, is that the, the, a new day is not just coming, but it's now here if you would put your trust in Jesus. You have the opportunity to turn your attention and affection towards him and worship in a way that will never, ever, ever disappoint you. Eternally satisfying. Soul soul satisfaction in the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the sovereign ruler of the totality of creation. That's what is on offer. That's what worship invites us to experience and enjoy all the things that cause your lostness and brokenness, all the things we turn our hearts towards instead of Him, we don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to be going around. We don't need to play whack-a-mole anymore. The ignorance that comes from ignoring God and preference for other things doesn't need to be the case anymore for you. The The diagnosis that are preaching and our songs are designed to unite to offer as a diagnosis of false worship with the goal of fixing our hearts on the only one who is worthy that's what we are aiming for that's what we are running after as a church here to diagnose false worship with the goal of fixing your heart on the only one who is worthy and the goal is to connect lost and broken and sinful people with god who loves them can bear all they bring them and save them and is all we need that's the goal to connect you to Jesus, to direct you towards him, to have the, the, your life growing towards him and your heart turned back towards him. It's an amazing thing that we get to be part of a church family because we get, that means we get to help one another see how desperately we need Jesus. I need you to tell me how desperately I need Jesus. You need the person sitting next to you to tell you, to remind you how desperately you need Jesus to turn your attention, to turn your heart towards him. So so when it comes to the songs that we sing, we want those songs that we sing to help you cry out to Jesus, to cling more tightly to Jesus, to change your heart so that it's closer to Jesus. Because we understand that when we worship Jesus, there is a taste of eternity about it. We want you to have a taste of eternity when we gather together to worship with one another. The time to worship Jesus is now in preparation and as proof of his eternal promise at work in us. So not just a, but not just a matter of urgency, it is, it's more than that, it's also a matter, it's, it's also evidence of my authenticity. It's evidence of my authenticity, second of all. It's evidence of my authenticity. it says, God, um, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's evidence of the authenticity. There's something about being true Worshippers here. So we might ask the question Does that mean it's possible to be an inauthentic worshiper or for our worship to be false? Jesus says so. It talks about true worshippers here. So the idea would be that there's also what's the opposite of true? Somebody help me. False worshippers. That seems that's implication, right? So it's not just true worshipers, but false worshipers. True worship centers our hearts upon Jesus and is expressed from a heart that has been changed by Jesus. And in a lot of ways, what we find in Jesus' conversation with the woman here in John 4 shows how little things change with time, and the barriers that are typical then are often the same to us today. Just have a little look back. Let's start back at verse 20 of chapter 4. Hopefully you've still got John 4 open. John 20, our forefathers worshipped in the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So what are some barriers that exist today? That exist today? Well, here's one tradition. Our fathers worship. We've always done it this way. If it's good enough for my dad and my great granddaddy, then that's great. If it's good enough for them, but did it do them any good? Or is it still going to do good today? We need to be careful that we don't make our worship the fruit of nostalgia rather than faith being nurtured. Or preference, the second half of t- verse 20, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. What, what do we, what do, that's how I want to do it. The, Danger of preference. This is obviously on a more global scale, but even in, in our own hearts, there's a, of, a tendency towards preference. We'll only sing the songs with the tune we like, rather than the words that mean something. The music is a vehicle to the words, and we and and so we, we sing the words. I, I like don't like this tune. Is is not a good substitute for. I need to sing these words. place, of so tradition, maybe preference, maybe place, what people get tied up and hung up in a building I need to go to the building, well Jesus says it's not a mountain or a holy city, a place can't bring you closer to God, only the person of Jesus can it's not if I just get there something will happen it's if I can just get to Jesus everything will change Not place. It's Jesus. That's the. So it's not tradition. It's not preference. It's not place. There's these barriers. Jesus is saying, "All these barriers have been are being taken away. You can worship the Father through me." Oh, that we'd have a desperation in our hearts to worship Jesus more than anything else. Oh, that I would have that stirring within me, a desperation to worship Jesus above everything else because worship flows from understanding that I need more than anything to to get my soul to Jesus. I need more more than anything to press in and to lean into him. So let me ask you, is God the Father, if God is looking for true worshipers, if, if there's a matter of true or false worship, is it real? Is your worship real? Are you really worshiping Jesus? Is your worship a welling up and overflowing of what Jesus has done, as in, and is doing in your life? Or are you just going through the motions? Or are you living two lives? You you come along and sing words, and or listen to words, and and then you go away and you live an entirely different life. You you sing. Was it, I think it was A.W. Tozer said, you, uh, you don't, you, you don't be, you, it's not so much we believe lies as we sing lies. We, we sing things about God and then go away and do nothing about them. And don't live as if he's transformed our lives in any other way. I mangled that quote, but that's what happens when you go off your notes. Warning. Is it real? Is it real? Is your worship of Jesus real? Is that a real thing? Do you have a real thing with Jesus? Or is it about tradition or preference or place or something that's far removed from a personal encounter with a, sa- with a savior? You say, well, you know, I, I, I can't really sing all that well. That's, that's, the, that's the point. It's not about being a great singer. It's learning to be a grateful singer. I'm not really sure. I'm really excited about the, the music. You know, music really isn't my thing. It's not really about loving the music. It's loving God's mercy. I don't really know what to do. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure when, when I clap my hands, when I raise, when I raise my hands. What? 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 what, what do do? Listen, it's not. A, it's not a performance. It's longing for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We can all learn to be grateful singers. We can all learn to love God's mercy. We can all long for a personal encounter with Jesus. And at Harvest Glasgow, we long for urgency and authenticity in our worship. We want you to lean in, cry out, sing loud, clap hands, raise hands as if you're holding hands with one another. United in worship of Jesus Christ as you lift high his name. We long for worship that turns hearts towards Jesus because that kind of worship, that kind of worship is, is God's priority, third of all. That kind of worship is God's priority. Look what it says. God is looking for those true worshipers. God is seeking people who will sing of his salvation and live lives that glorify his son. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For last part of verse 23, for the Father is seeking such, pe- such people to worship him. God is looking for people like that. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God would be seeking, actively looking for people Desiring to possess, seeking out people who will worship him in spirit and in truth who will be true worshipers. He's looking for that. He's see- searching out. His eyes are looking over the world to see and to, to identify people who are worshiping with that, those characteristic worship things. It's a pretty remarkable statement when you think about it. The senses of God actively looking. He is searching our hearts in the process of seeking out people who would set their hearts on him. So when he looks at your heart, what does he find? Does he find a heart that is turned towards Jesus? Does he find a heart that is is captivated by him? Because he's looking around his creation to see whose hearts are captivated by his glory. And the word seeking, there's an urgency about this. There's a a characteristic about this which is marked by some kind of desire desire. He wants people to worship, not because he needs us to, but because we have our worship need. We are the the Samaritan woman. That's why you are filling your life with the things you're filling your life with. It's what makes your life like that of the Samaritan woman. The need for worship, the worship part that that God the Creator has wired us with it means, means that the worship component, the worship part of it is, is something that needs to be fed. Verse 13, Jesus say, has already said to the woman, if you, if you drink from something other than him, you will be thirsty again. And isn't that true? That's the whack-a-mole thing. That's the, satisfaction, the, the lack of satisfaction thing. It's the, it's the idolatry piece. It's that we, we, if we try to drink from something other than Jesus, we're going to be thirsty again. But in Jesus, God offers us the water that means we will never thirst for soul satisfaction ever, and by ever we mean eternally. So so we have an essence an answer to the question about what God is looking for from us, and, and therefore what the eternal goal of your life is is worship. Do you ever wonder what the purpose of your life is? Do you ever wonder where your life is heading and what the meaning of your life is? Well, this is describing it for us. The meaning of your life is worship. It's giving worth to God. And ultimately, we worship because He is worthy, and to do otherwise is to undermine the purpose for which we were created and the practical wisdom of the universe. John Newton, who was a great hymn writer who wrote the words to Amazing Grace, simply said this is going to be up on the screen for you as well. When I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. God, when, I'll see, when I see you as you are, I'll praise you as I ought. When we have a clearer view of who God is, then we are free to worship him, from, worship him as he is. That's the practical wisdom of the universe. When we begin to understand who God is, we begin to worship him as we should. Worship in the local church should serve that great aim. It should point me toward the truth about God and his glory and holiness. Direct me to the blessing of knowing his love, grace and mercy. And cause me to rejoice at the marvelous mystery that God would have any interest whatsoever in working in the life of someone like me. Worship reminds me that God wasn't made for me, but I was made for him, and the meaning of my life is found in making as much of him as possible. We get to invest our lives in making as much of Jesus Christ as possible. Are you invested in that great task? If that's what God is looking for, if that's what God is looking for, is that not what you long? If that's what God the creator magnificent and majestic and awesome is looking for, is that not what you long for your lives to be? Lives of worship? Because when we start to get that, then worship turns our hearts towards Jesus in a way that is expressed finally, final, final heading on your, on your pads, is the final thing is expressed from the deepest part of me. Worship that turns our hearts towards Jesus is expressed from the deepest part of me. We're talking about worship that is crying out and pouring out and sold out, that causes us to sing out. And we've had the opportunity to do that. We, we want you to get closer to God. And I don't know if you realize this, if you've been around for a while, maybe you do. Maybe it's helpful to be reminded of this. But as we sang each of the songs, each song is a step on the journey to get you closer, to get your eyes closer off of yourself and onto Jesus. Let me talk you through what we sang this morning just by way of interest for you. We sang Glorious Day, which is a gathering song, which is saying, hey, let's go worship Jesus together. Isn't it an amazing thing how he has worked in our lives? We, we gather together, we gather around about the truth that he has set us free, that he has offered us new life, that he has changed our life. We gather around about one another, and, and, and if we're not excited to sing about those things, then I don't know what we are excited about. So let's express our excitement and our passion and joy at that from the beginning. Let's, let's recalibrate our, 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 our attention and affections back onto him by, by singing to one another and with one another of what he has what he has done for us. So it's a gathering song. Let's go worship the Lord, it says. The second, the second song we sang was Only King Forever. This is what God means to us. This is what Jesus means to us. This is how he is, he's, he's been at work in our lives. We can all sing these songs because we have these songs in common with one another. It's a community, Thanksgiving community, testimony of God's goodness and grace towards us. So we sang so it was glorious day and only king forever hopefully you're remembering these songs as we go along if you, there's a podcast there's a playlist you can go and check out um, on of the songs we've sung this week if you want to go back and check it and sing them all over again So glorious day only king forever our third song was grace alone so we go from the gathering song to the community testimony to the personal testimony I was an orphan lost in the fall running away when I heard you call but father you worked your will I'm saved by grace and grace alone. It's a personal testimony. Do you see it's, coming, it's, go, it's coming, it's zooming back in towards me so I can be reminding myself personally and carefully about how my life has been changed, which will make me want to sing louder and more clearly about what he means to me and, uh, as I worship him. So we, the, 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 the st- I get to tell my story to everybody else. I get to sing my story to everyone else. That was the purpose of the third song in our journey to take our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes more clearly fixed in Jesus. The fourth song we sang, so we sang a, introduced a new song this morning, so that, that kind of, we like to introduce new songs because the Lord instructs us to sing a new song to the Lord, so we introduced a new song as part of that this morning, and, and, and so that would, that would fit somewhere, where with that. that would maybe fit in the five, so the fifth song so will tell you what that is in a minute, Okay. The fourth song we sang, can anyone tell me what it was? Just audience participation. Somebody tell me, somebody. What? Lord, Lord I Need You was the song. I couldn't can, I quite hear you. But Lord, I Need You, the worship team are helping out there. We know it, we know it. I'm glad they sang it. So Lord, I Need You was the song. Was that what they said? Excellent, well done. Thank you so much. Um, Lord, I Need You was the next one. And that's, so again, we're just... That's part of us pouring our heart out to the Lord to express to him what he means to us in a really intimate way and actually just saying, you know something, that's not about me, it's all about you, God. It's all about you. I, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I need your help as much as you can give me. And I know you're totally able to help me in any way I need. Lord, I need you. That was the fourth song. That's the last time we sing about ourselves in this journey, though. The last song was, Anyone? Exalted over all. He is exalted over all from the lyrics of the songs, which are the fifth song. We call them the five bucket. the, The fifth song that we sing, the words, I, me, my, go. We don't sing about ourselves anymore. We sing songs about Jesus. We sing songs to Jesus, which are entirely focused on him. They are the eternity songs. They're the songs we're going to be singing forever. Holy, 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 worthy, 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 glory, glory, glory be his name. That's the journey. Eyes off of yourself. Eyes onto Jesus. Hearts turned away from him and because of all that's gone on this week. Again, reorientating, redirecting our hearts back towards him and worship because he is worthy. Worthy, worthy, holy, 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 glory, glory, glory be his name. God is the goal of our worship, and the worship that he is looking for is, and and Jesus says it twice for emphasis, in spirit and in truth. Just in case you missed it the first time, it's spirit and truth worship. It's spirit and truth worship. That's what he's looking for. So true worshipers will will worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship him must. Jesus steps up a gear in the second time. It's not just they will worship in spirit and truth. They must. The, The defining characteristic of A true worshiper is that they must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a non-negotiable. It's a mark of authenticity. It's a matter of necessity. So true worship, worship that God is seeking, is spirit and truth worship. When When we were planting the church, and I was spending a lot of time in Starbucks, talking to people about church and that kind of thing. The, the commentary that people were offering of the church was that you had a choice between churches where God's word was taken seriously, but you didn't have the opportunity to express how excited you were to follow Jesus. Or you could go somewhere where the music was great, but you didn't want to trust your future to the teaching. That was a commentary that people were asking me, as I were, was off, were, were offering me as I spent time in Starbucks 10 years ago or so. So from one, day one, we don't think, maybe it say this, we don't believe those are mutually exclusive things. We believe you can take God's word seriously and have an opportunity to express how passionately excited you are to express the worth of Jesus in song. So from day one, the desire of our hearts as a church has been to fasten your life to the truth of God's word and free your hearts to express your affection to God's son. We believe that word-fed and spirit-led go hand-in-hand and they are designed to cause the attention of your soul and the affection of your heart to be fixed on God the Son, Jesus Christ. So we are to worship in spirit. To that end, we made the decision when we planted the church that we want want to worship in words we would use normally and understand properly and and, and sung to songs that express reality and urgency because it's music we would be familiar with and would be, Current and contemporary. So we made a decision to move towards contemporary worship. We we understand that it's a step of faith to sing that your satisfaction is in Jesus more than anything else. So so we I know that I need this and I, I believe that you need this. We need worship that engages our affections. That will seldom feel safe. Because when we feel safe and comfortable in what we're singing. Then it means we we are, the danger is we have made an idol about what people think about us and how we, we need to be drawn out, worship needs to be drawn out of us. So singing with our affections engaged will always feel like stepping out of a comfort zone. It will always involve singing a little louder than we normally would. It might involve us clapping our hands because we would never do that normally. It might involve us raising our hands because we see things in God's Word that direct us towards doing those things. We want to, and we want, and we want to have, a, and we have a freedom from that, not because of what people think about us, but, 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 but because of how God's word directs us. It's worship with heart. Stephen Charnock, the great Puritan, said this: "Without the heart, it is not worship; it is a stage play, and, act, and acting a part without being that person really a hypocrite. We may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfect, perfection." but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. Is it real? Is it real? It's got to be real. And we long for the spirit of the worship in this room every Sunday to be one where people are leaning in and singing out. No hands in pockets, no going through the motions, singing like it matters more than anything else in that moment. We want the worship of Harvest Glasgow to produce the same fruit as we see in the Samaritan woman coming desperate for satisfaction, coming desperate for satisfaction to calling others to come and see the one who changed their life. And that happens when what we are singing is true. So spirit and truth. We believe that truth matters. We believe one of the most effective way of communicating the truth of God's word is in song. I say this somewhat hesitantly as a preacher, but I believe in Wednesday, you'll still be singing the lyrics to the songs we sung this morning. Well, you're having to scramble for your notes to figure out what my four points were this morning. Did he have four points? You're now checking to see. How, what was that? Not sure we're trying to, okay. It's one of the best. God, God has wired us to have music as part of who we are, as a way to remember things. It's why when the song comes on from 1992 that you remember if you're old, born then. Okay, I understand i aging myself. You, you, that from years ago, from when you were a youth. Okay, let's, let's back up. Okay, the song that was on the radio when you were a youth, you know it word for word. Okay, hands up if you have that experience. It comes on the radio and it's like, man, I didn't know I had this good a memory. I don't normally have this good a memory. God has made us that way. And, there's, and so therefore the songs that we sing are massively important and it's massively important that they are true. So we don't want to be singing songs that aren't true or have capacity to create confusion. We want you to be singing about the gospel and the cross and the glory of God. That's what we want to be singing about. We want you to be singing God's word. We call it scripture memory by stealth. So we want you to be singing God's word with one another, singing God's word in a way that His word is abiding within you as a result of the songs that we sing. When you sing the truth about God in such a way as expresses a longing for a transformed heart, this is telling us that it is true worship. And that's what our desire is for you. So we long for worship that turns your hearts back towards Jesus. That's what we long for. That's what we're shooting for when we're singing the songs. We're going to, we're going to sing a song. We're going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a song, which is just going to give you an opportunity to do just that, to take your hands out of your pockets, to figure out, okay, Lord, but I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how it got on the first five, five or six songs we sang, okay? I'm not sure, but for sure, I'm going to sing this one like I mean it, okay? I'm going to sing about how awesome you are. I'm going to sing about how worthy you are. I'm going to sing about the, sto- the, the story you've created in my life because of your son and what he's done for me, that you're awesome and you're holy and you've changed me. And we're going to have an opportunity to sing that at the top. Of, uh, everyone say after me at the top of our voices. After three, one, two, three, at the top of our voices, okay? That's what we're going to go for. That was hard to say together, I realized. <laughs> Did not pull that off. That's what we're shooting for, at the top of our voices. So let's stand, so we're ready to sing. I'm going to pray. The worship team are going to be on it. They're going to sing, play over the back of me. So we're going to go straight into the song. After I finish praying, as soon as I say amen, we're going to lift our voices together. Are we good with that? Okay, some of you are. Michael said he is. That's good. That's good enough for me. Okay, we're thank- so thankful for how our worship team leaders. us. Uh, let's encourage them in our demeanor and our, and our song together just now as we lift our voices and high as we turn our hearts towards the only one who is worthy of our worship. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful to you for Jesus. So thankful for how you've changed our lives. So thankful for who he is. So thankful for how awesome you are. So thankful for the fact we get to do this together as we get to raise our songs and raise our voices and turn our hearts towards Jesus. Father, help us in this moment to express that you are worthy. You are more worthy than anything else. You are worth more to us than anything else. And that we are marveling that you would let someone like us approach someone like you. What an amazing thing that is. That that he would let someone like me approach someone like him. What an amazing savior we have in Jesus Christ. We love you. Amen.